You know, as a pastor, one of the things that I really enjoy doing is doing weddings. And I remember this one wedding that I was asked to do that I didn't know the couple. They were just referred to me by someone. And so I said, you know, if I could help them out, I'll help them out. And so, you know, I did the wedding, and then I went to the reception. But I can imagine they were saying, okay, this pastor doesn't know anybody here. Where do we seat him? Right? And so they seated me with the parents of the bride and groom and all of the uncles and the aunts. Right? And so, you know, at that time, they really didn't know each other. So we're sitting there eating, and they're all getting to know each other. Right? And so they start, you know telling about their lives and, you know, what their children are doing. And so it starts off, and I can't remember the exact conversation, but it was something similar to this. Oh, my son just graduated from Harvard Law and is studying for the bar. And he says, oh, my daughter graduated pre-med from Yale and is now at John Hopkins Medical School. And I'm just saying, oh, man, I know where this is going. Right, And so they went around the table telling us how each one of the children went to the most prestigious universities in the United States, if not the world, right? And then they're going around, and then they come to me. And they go, Pastor, where did you go? Or where did you graduate? What university did you graduate from? And I said, Cal State Long Beach. You know, and right as I said Cal State Long Beach, you could just see the energy being sucked out of that table, right? They were just, they didn't know what to do. And then I experienced that awkward show of support where they're saying, oh, oh, that's nice. You know, that, I, I hear that's a, a good school. They didn't know how to address that, right? Completely threw them off guard, and I'm just dying. But, but... I have an ace up my sleeve. And so I told him, but my father did his postdoctoral work at Harvard. And then all of a sudden, oh, really? Your father, you know, did his postdoctoral work at Harvard? And I said, yes. And they said, well, what did he do? Well, he was a professor at the USC School of Medicine and then the USC School of Pharmacy. And all of a sudden, the energy in the table came back, right? And the universe was in balance once more, right? Now, but, you know, there was no malicious intent in all of this. They they weren't trying to make me feel bad or anything like that. They had no idea where I went to school, right? And I guess it would have been worse if I said I did go to Harvard, and they said, but now you're a pastor, you know, what a waste of a great education, you know. But um, basically, they were revealing the values um, that they thought were important for their children, right? And don't we all do this, right? We all have a pecking order, or we know where we rank, you know, in this order that we've come up with, where it's either us or our children, right? And we all have that. And the early church, you know, had the same issue where people were being favored based upon social status. And today we're going to learn that God considers this a serious offense and what we could do to prevent us from being prejudiced against other people and favoring them because of who they are and what they have. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to James chapter 1?
James chapter 2, verse 1. Now, some of you might have, uh, I'm reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation, just because I think it'll be easier to understand. So this will sound different than some of the Bible versions that you have. But this is what James says. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over the other? Now, the way this is written is James is addressing an issue that is currently happening at that church, at that the early church that the people there, the church leaders, were favoring those who were wealthy and those who um, had power. Now, the Bible, you know, said there's, there's nothing wrong with being rich, and there's nothing wrong with being poor. But what is the problem here that James is trying to address? He says, if you give special attention and give a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor person, well, you stand over there, or else sit on the floor. Now, you have to realize that back in that day, when somebody told you to sit on the floor, or some of you, your Bible say, sit at my footstool, that was a huge insult or slap in the face to that person, right, who was told to sit on the floor. Why? Because the majority of the believers in the early church were poor. Why? Because Christianity appealed to the poor because the wealthy felt that they didn't have a need for a savior. Many were born, uh, were poor because they were born, they were not born into the right family. There was no American dream in the Roman Empire. There was no rags to riches story in the Roman Empire. If you were poor, if you were born into a poor family, most likely you would remain poor the rest of your life. However, many Christians were poor because of unemployment. They were fired from the jobs just because they were Christians, or no one would hire them just because they were Christians, okay? Now, people in the, the poor in the early church were poor not because they were lazy, but they were being persecuted by their culture. Because the Bible never condones laziness. And even in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, the Apostle Paul says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. And so poverty due to laziness is not compatible with the Christian faith and should not be rewarded. But that wasn't the case here. The people were not poor because they were lazy. They were poor because they weren't born into the right family or they were being persecuted by their faith. And here they are coming to the Lord, coming to church, and they were being insulted because they were poor. And so James goes on in verse 4. It says, Doesn't this discrimination show your judgments are guided by evil motives? Now, you might say, well, you know, showing favoritism or being snobby to people, we, we all agree that that's bad. But some of us might say, well, you know, it's really not that bad. You know, there, there are worse things that we could do. But it's interesting here. The word James uses for evil is the strongest word that can be used to describe evil. 
There are three words that James used within the book that he writes of, of James for evil. And this is the strongest, right? It'd be like saying if somebody does something, you would say, well, you, well that's not nice. Okay, it shows that we object to that behavior. Or we could say, you know, that was really bad. Or then we could say, man, that was just evil. Well, this is what he's talking about here. This is the worst, strongest word he could use for evil right here. And so basically it uh, has the um, idea of somebody having a vicious intention or to have a destructive or injurious effect. So this is serious. This is not just something that, oh yeah, it's bad, but there are other things that are worse. That are worse. According to James, he could not use a stronger word for evil when he describes the situation. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love them? And what James is saying here is that he's telling the believers in the church that the world values, the way that the world values individuals and the way God values individuals is totally opposite. It's totally opposite. Okay, so if we value people with the world standards, then we are not valuing them the way that God wants us to value them. In in 1 Corinthians one twenty six, the Apostle Paul says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, uh, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. He said, hey, guys, brothers, sisters, remember, you know, when God called you, only a few of you, only a small portion of you were wise or powerful or wealthy. You got the, the, they weren't in the majority. Then he said, instead, God chose the things the world considered foolish in order to shame the things, to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can boast in the presence of God. He's saying, look, guys, when you were called, not many of you were wealthy, not many of you were powerful. But you know what, God? In his economy, God chose the foolish things in this world to shame the wise. He chose the poor people, which was against the value of this world, right? To shame the wealthy. Now, once again, he, you know, God, it's not that God loves the poor or um, does not like the wealthy, but he's saying the wealthy put their faith in the trust in their wealth. However, the poor, once you have nothing, right, who are you going to put your faith and trust in? The only person they could put their faith and trust in was God. And that's what, you know, the Apostle Paul is saying. But then James goes on and says, hey, but you, are dis- but you dishonor the poor. Isn't, the r- isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you in the courts? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble names you are 
you bear. And what he's saying is you guys are catering to the rich and the powerful because of what they can do for you, right? And don't we do that sometimes? We kind of try to get to know those who are popular. We try to get to know those who are in powerful positions. We try to get to know those who are wealthy. Why? Well, okay, they could help us achieve our goals. And in and of itself, there is nothing wrong with that. But what James is saying here is you guys are catering these, uh, these people who oppress you. They're the ones who aren't hiring you. They're the ones who are firing you because of your belief. They're the ones who are dragging you into the courts and suing you. And they're the ones that treat Jesus with contempt. And so why are you catering to them? You know, another way of looking at this is like this. I remember um, a while back, uh, and Michael probably doesn't remember this because he was too young. We took a, a vacation to Seattle. And so we went to the northern part of Seattle. And so we went to a restaurant. And it wasn't that crowded, so we put our name there. And we were just waiting to be called. But we saw people being called before us. People who came after us were being called before us. So finally I got up and said, you know, we've been waiting here for a long time. You know, is our name there? And she just looked at me and she goes, oh, we we probably just forgot right? And so we get into the restaurant, right? And so we order, and they're taking forever to serve us. People who are coming in afterwards were being served before us. People who were ordering the same thing as I, we did, they were getting, and who came after us were getting served before us. We hardly saw our waiter. Now, I I can't, I don't know for sure what was going on, but I just sensed that, okay, something's not right here, and that we are being uh, experiencing the other side of favoritism. And there are times when I was at Continental, I was called a Jap. There are times when I was at Continental, and I was called a chink, right? And that just, you know, really gets to you when somebody calls you that. And so what James is saying here, you know what it feels like to be discriminated against. You know what, it be, what, it be, what it's like to be called racial slurs. So why are you doing it to other people? And that should be the same thing for us. That as believers in Christ, there is no room for prejudice based upon wealth, you know, based upon race, ethnicity, or anything. That does not belong in the church of Jesus Christ. And especially for those who've experienced it, like I've experienced it my entire life. He goes, Dave, you know what it feels like. Therefore, you have no business doing it to others. Because you know what it feels like. And number two, it is incompatible with the Christian faith. Right? And so he goes on to say, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law that is found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he says that the royal law, you know, we know this is part of the great commandment, right? And the reason it's called royal, because it was instituted by a sovereign king, which is our God. It cannot be revoked. 
It cannot be rescinded. It cannot be altered. It stands for all time. So that means for us, as subjects of the, of the kingdom of God, that this is a law that we need to follow. There's no arguing with it. God is not going to change his mind and say, hey, well, you know, God, this person called me a Jap. There's no way I'm going to love him. I can't do that. Why? Because this is a royal law that God instituted, that I am to love our neighbor without condition. And that's really hard because I remember when that person did call me that at the airport. I wanted to jump over the counter and go after him. It was only by the graciousness that I had an assistant supervisor who was huge, and he stopped me from doing that because I know if I did that, I probably would have been fired, right, on the spot. But once God is saying here, is that this is the royal law that you guys are breaking, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the normal word for sin, he says, but if you favor some people over others, verse 9, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Now, it's interesting when you take a look at the word sin here. Normal word for sin just means I missed the mark. You know, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what, what that means is, well, we've just missed the mark of God's righteousness. But the one, the word James uses here for the word sin means, refers to somebody who willfully goes beyond God's prescribed limits. You know, in one case, it says, okay, we sin and we come up short. But in this case, he's saying, This person's gone too far. You know, I think we all have a sense of what going too far is. And I even knew this as a youth, you know, as a middle schooler and a high schooler. As I saw my friends verbally, you know, abuse and make fun of other kids. Inside me, I, you know, I said, yeah, this is wrong. But I said, you know what? This is going way too far. What they are doing. When I saw the face of the kids who were just being, um, uh, just saying these awful things about them, I, you know, in my soul, I was saying, man, this has gone too far. And I told my friends, hey, you guys are going too far. But this is what James means when he's talking about when you favor some, over, some people over others, He said, you are going too far. You are going beyond the prescribed limits, right? And it says, for the person who keeps all the laws except for one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's law. For the the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said, "You you must not murder. So if you murder somebody but not commit adultery, you still have broken the law. Now, the Jews, when you take a look at how they looked at obeying their law, they kind of balanced things out. Well, they said, okay, you know what? I didn't commit murder, um, and I didn't steal, but I lied, 
you know, I coveted this, and I broke these lesser laws. And what they would do is they would try to balance it out. So if they felt, okay, well, you know what? Me not breaking the law is more weighted than me breaking the law. You know, I'm pretty good. And that's the way they based this. And probably James used murder and adultery here because of social sins to the Jews. These were probably the worst. And according to Old Testament law, they were punishable by death. Once again, James is showing the seriousness of favoring others and discriminating against others. So what he's saying is showing partiality is a serious sin. And why? Because what God demands of us is in direct relation of what he has already done for us. How he expects us to relate to others is in response to how he has first related to us, meaning God demands that we forgive others. Why? Because he has completely forgiven us. God demands that we love others because why? He loved us before we loved him. God demands that we show mercy to others. Why? Because he shows mercy to us. God demands that we do not show partiality to others because he did not show partiality to us. He didn't love us because we were rich, powerful, or poor. He loved us for who we were, not what we had or we didn't have. And so he goes on to say, so whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Now, what's what's the law that sets you free? Basically, as believers, we are going to be judged by the law of grace. We are going to be judged by the law of mercy. And we are going to be judged by the law of forgiveness and love and so forth. Isn't that great? And so what James is saying, this law set us free. It set us free from guilt. It set us free from shame. It set us free from worrying about the future, knowing that God's going to watch over us. And it set us free about worrying what's going to happen after we die. Because as believers in Jesus Christ, what happens? We go to heaven. So he's saying, you know what? Live by that law, right? So the question is, how do we start, stop behavior that shows favoritism? Well, the first thing we need to do is understand that favoring the wealthy and powerful over the poor is a serious sin in God's eyes. It's not just something that, oh, you know, everybody does that. You know, I'm just like everybody else. It's not that bad. This, in the eyes of God, is a serious, serious offense. Why? Because God, if you look throughout scripture, God has always cared about the poor. God has always cared about those who are overlooked. God has always cared about the powerless. God has always cared about those who couldn't help themselves. They are close to God's heart, and God loves them. And so when we as his church, as his children, are prejudiced against other people. In God's eyes, that's serious. So that's the first thing that we need to do. We need to reset our minds to say, you know, in God's sight, 
loving our neighbor is pretty serious. Because don't we have a list of what we consider serious sins and ones that aren't bad? It's like, oh, okay, well, do you do drugs or whatever? We have that list. But if you take a look at God's list, usually you see number one on his list is pride. Where we think that we know more than God, we don't need God, that we're capable of doing things on our own. But the second is how we treat people. Those two are very high on God's God's list. And we need to know that. You know, Gary Miller says, knowing ourselves, oh, excuse me, um, the next point is give your, get your self-esteem from your relationship with God and not other people. And this is important because this affects your whole life. Your self-esteem affects your whole life. Your self-esteem determines a lot of times how you will act. And it's important to get our self-esteem from our relationship with God and not from other people. And Gary Miller says, knowing ourselves through the gospel is just about the most practical and most necessary truth there is for flourishing in our messy world. And what's he saying here? That knowing ourselves through the gospel, that God loves us, that when we choose to be his disciple, he adopts us into his family. You know, everything that we learned about Romans 8, that applies to us. You know, that the most powerful being in the universe thinks we're great as we are. There's nothing we could do to make him more proud than he is of us. There's nothing we could do to make him love us more. And there's nothing we could do to make him love us love us any less, right? But so many times we get our esteem from other people. Ephesians 1.4, the Apostle Paul says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. When God adopted us into the family before we were even born, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, look, there's Dave. He really needs help. Jesus, you're going to have to go down there and die for him, because, and then I guess we'll adopt him into our family. No, that's not what God did. It says, God... <laughs> Uh, saved me. God adopted me. Why? Because it gave him pleasure. It brought God great joy to adopt him into our family. So when you made that commitment to Jesus Christ, that's why all the angels in heaven rejoice. Because God is rejoicing because it gave him great pleasure to do this. Right? You have to get your self-esteem from the poor. You know, because early on in me being a pastor, I struggled with this, you know, where I gained my esteem from people, where I tried to be a people pleaser. And when people, I heard people saying, oh, I don't like Pastor Dave because he did this, or I don't like what he said from the pulpit, it would really bother me. So I was saying, okay, what could I do to change their perception of me? But as I realized and got more mature, by being a pastor, I said, you know what? My self-esteem comes from my relationship with God. I serve God, 
and God alone. And there are times when I've had to make decisions, well, a lot of times where I had to make decisions where people are happy with that and people are not so happy with it. And believe me, I hear it when people are not so happy with this, right? But I've realized that, you know what, when I make decisions, it's based upon what I understand Scripture to be saying and that I'm serving the Lord. And if I do that, then whatever people say, if they are ticked off at me, so be it. I could live with that. And so for you right now, your self-esteem is so important because if your self-esteem is low and you try to get it from other people and you try to get it from the world, the things that you're going to have to try to do, the things that the world values are against what God values. And you will not get closer to God. And this is why it's getting your self-esteem from God who thinks you're great as you are. Granted, our goal is to be more and more like Christ. Yes, but that doesn't change how God feels about us. He doesn't care how you look because our, you know, isn't our society based upon looks? You know, we all know what look the world values and what looks they don't, right? It's important that your self-esteem come from God and God alone. What's the second thing, uh, third thing we need to do? is we need to serve the poor, okay? Serve the poor. Because once you start serving the poor, that changes your mindset. It says, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. Now, Jesus isn't saying don't invite them to everything, but don't just invite people who could repay you. And then he goes on. But he says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of righteousness. So what he's saying is learn to serve those who can't repay you. The people in the early church that James was confronting, they were only catering to the people who could get some, whom they could get something back in return. And if you couldn't give them back something, they'd say, hey, you sit over there or you stand over there. So they'd slap them in the face and they would insult them. But even Jesus is saying, guys, don't just invite people who could give something back to you. Invite people who can't repay you. And this is something I learned at an early age from my parents, that my parents, you know, served those who were less fortunate than we. So I grew up in that culture. So when I grew older serving the poor, it wasn't such a stretch. It was like, oh man, you know, how come, you know, it's just that if they just did this and this and this and this, their situation would be different. No, it was a totally different attitude. I remember when we served Family Promise here. Now, for those of you who are new, Family Promise is an organization that we partner with where four times a year we house homeless families here at church where they sleep here for a week. We serve them you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And during the day, the kids go to school and the parents go to a resource center or sometimes they go to a job. But the whole purpose of this is to give them a break so they're not sleeping in their cars, 
right? And so we do this. And so I remember there was a time when one of the, the kids came to me, and he was so embarrassed. He's saying, I'm sorry, I used too much toilet paper, you know, in the bathroom. And it, the toilet overflowed. And so I thought it was just a little overflow, right? So I get there, and it was the bathroom in the fellowship hall. The entire floor of the bathroom was covered with water, toilet paper, and fecal matter. Right? I looked at that, and the kid was just looking down. I said, you know what? Don't worry about it. You know, I'll take care of it. So I just went, got him up, and I just cleaned it up. You know, I didn't say, man, I'm the senior pastor. I shouldn't be doing this. Where's my uh, associate pastor? You know, that's his job. You know, I already paid my dues. I don't have to do this. You know, but the worst thing is also now I'm mopping it up and I'm noticing my sock is getting wet. And I'm going, what's going on here? And I looked at the bottom of my shoe and there's a big old hole in my shoe, right? And I'm just going sweeping this up. But you know what? It didn't bother me to serve this one person. I was glad to do it. Why? Because I understand that this is what God calls us to do. I learned this at an early age. So when it came to serving the poor, when it came to mopping up a floor full of you know, fecal matter, I said, you know what, don't worry. I got this. Just go and get ready for school. When you start serving the poor, it changes your attitude. When you hear their stories, it changes your attitude. So you're not the person that says, oh, well, you can't give us anything. You stand over there or you sit over here. Now, praise God at Mission Valley, you know, I think we do really good at hospitality. And so this, isn't a, uh, this is just a reminder for us that God wants us to keep doing what we're already doing. So thank you guys for doing this, and I think you guys are doing a great job on it. But once again, this is a reminder because we could easily slip into this I'm better than you when what? Our self-esteem goes lower. And the only way we could lift ourselves up is when we put somebody else down. Then we feel good about ourselves because, well, at least I'm better than that person. And James is saying, no, brothers and sisters, this has no room in the body of Christ. So what's a weekly challenge? Our weekly challenge is I want us to read James 2, 1 through 13 every single day. And once again, when we read this, I want you to read this with the attitude of, God, what do you want to speak to me today? What do you want me to learn through your word? Don't just use it as a checkup. It says, identify areas in your life that trigger low esteem in your life and read Bible verses that reveal who you are in God's sight. Each one of us has triggers that lower our self-esteem. If you're a child, it could be your parents. It could be your parent. Even if you're an adult, it could be a comment from your parent, right? It could be your coworkers. It could be um, Facebook when you see, oh, somebody ate at this five-star restaurant. Wow, I, can, I can't afford that. You know, whatever it is, there's all these triggers that trigger our low self-esteem. Identify those things. And then read Bible verses that reveal who you are in God's sight. And let's say you don't know how to do this. Just go to BibleGateway.com. BibleGateway.com. Type in the word love. 
<laughs> type in the word forgiveness. And type in the word child. Type in the word grace. And then all these Bible verses will come up. And read those to remind yourself that you are a child of God. And then find opportunity to serve those who can't pay you back for, um, for showing them God's love. Just don't do things for people that could pay you back. Look for opportunities to pay, to do some, to show God's love to other people who can't pay you back. And I guarantee you, if you start doing that, that will really change your attitude and mind and how you view those who don't have what you have. So worship team, would you please come forward as we close our time? Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today with an attitude of forgiveness and confession. For Father, there were, I know there's been times in all of our lives when we thought we were better than others. And we treated those who we thought could help us differently than those who we feel could not help us at all. And Father, we thank you that in your word you point this out and you remind us, Father, how serious this is. But as a pastor of this church, Lord, I am grateful that the people at Mission Valley get this. And they truly love all people, regardless of what they have, what they don't have, regardless of their race, their ethnicity. And so, Father, I pray that this will just serve as a reminder for us to keep doing what we're doing. And, Father, would you use us to bring healing to those who have been injured in a church, who have been injured by the body of believers who discriminated against them. Father, may this be a place where they feel loved and cared for, regardless, Father, of what they have or do not have. But, Father, I also know that there are some who struggle with esteem issues, and we all do. And there are certain triggers that trigger them. It could just be a comment from a family member, a co-worker, a friend. It could be us comparing ourselves to somebody we see on social media where we feel less than. If that's you right now, I ask that you ask God to reveal these areas and to ask God to be the source of your esteem and not what the world gives or the world says that you're esteemed by. So just take a few moments to do that. God, you decided in advance to adopt us 
into your family by bringing us to yourself through Jesus Christ. And you wanted to do this, and it gave you great pleasure to do so. Father, may each one of us here today feel your pleasure in each one of us, that we are loved unconditionally, that we are forgiven unconditionally, that we experience your grace and mercy. And Father, that well, you just think we're great and there's nothing we could do to make you th- feel greater about us or there's nothing we could do to make you feel less about us. And Father, may we use that, Father, to build our self-esteem so we don't have to put others down so that we don't have to feel we're better than others, so we could feel that we're better about ourselves, that knowing you and you alone think we're great and that you're proud of us, and that's good enough. Thank you so much for being that kind of God to each one of us. In your son's name I pray, amen.